we come before God again this evening, uh, I don't know, uh, when you think about us, uh, right now we are worshiping uh, before a holy God uh, who is high and lifted up, the creator of all things, uh, is the one that we worship here this evening. Um, and I think uh, a thought that has to cross our mind is as we come before God this evening, uh, how does God feel about us? When he sees us, uh, what does he think? Uh, and I think oftentimes it can feel like uh, we don't deserve to come to the presence of God. Uh, he is holy, and we are sinners. Uh, we do not deserve to stand before his presence. Uh, but the scandalous thing that scripture says, uh, the next passage, Isaiah 43, verse 42, it says, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Uh, I remember uh, sharing this verse with uh, another friend of mine who was also in seminary, and this was a verse he never uh, really thought about before, and when he read it, he sounds like, he said, that sounds too good to be true, but that sounds like that shouldn't even be in the Bible. Uh, because how can God feel that way about us? And yet, uh, here it is, uh, written on the very page of Scripture. It says that when God looks at us, uh, we are precious in His sight, and we are honored, and He loves us. And because He loves us, He gives people in return for us. And who was that person? Uh, he gave Jesus Christ because of how precious we are in his eyes. Um, because when he sees us, uh, he calls us beautiful. Uh, so this will be a new song that we learn tonight. Do your best to uh, follow along as we learn it. Uh, but let's sing these truths uh, to one another. Uh, that when God sees us, uh, he calls us precious.
are so majestic. God, as we gather this evening to hear your word, we ask that you would help us to catch a greater glimpse of your beauty, a deeper understanding of your glory, that our hearts may be captivated by you, and that we belong to you and you alone. So would you raise up from this room a generation for yourself to hear all these things in this precious power. Amen. Let's go ahead and have a seat. So this evening, we'll be continuing our series uh, in our identity in Christ. Uh, the first talk uh, we had was at chapel when we talked about how there is a search for significance that all of us are a part of. Uh, where we long to be set apart from the people around us because we long uh, to have value and we long to be significant. Uh, the second talk was about how we are friends of God and we said that friends of God value... Friends of God value... What God values. Good job, Andrew Lee. All right, and then we said that we are also saints in Christ, and that as saints in Christ, God sees us as? He sees Jesus. Ooh, good job, Michael. All right. I'm not preaching for no reason. All right, so uh, we are continuing in our series, and our next talk is about how we are disciples of Jesus. Uh, this is actually a topic that uh, I have really struggled with throughout my Christian life. Um, and so actually I asked, uh, Mr. Pash to come and speak about this topic. Uh, this, is a this is a topic that he personally is really passionate about. Uh, like Mr. Nelson and I, I think Mr. Nelson, I think he can say this, that we're, we're more epistle guys. Uh, Mr. Pash is more of a gospels guy. Um, not that we don't like the gospels, but uh, that's where he sits in, that's where he thinks in more. And nowhere in the Bible do we see uh, God talk more about what it means to be a disciple uh, than in the gospels. And so uh, when I first asked Mr. Pash if he'd be willing to uh, do a talk uh, in this series. At first he was like, oh, man, I have three kids, I have grad school. I was like, but the topic I want you to do is about how we are uh, disciples of Jesus. He was like, all right, you got me, I'll do it. Uh, because it's a topic that he really cares about. Um, and yeah, and I think one thing I want to emphasize too is that um, you know, encounter, uh, I was talking to someone uh, this past week who's, uh, who grew up in the church and has been to a lot of churches and they were saying how uh, they were so sick of churches, um, because especially in Korea, too, where we, we are the country of the biggest mega churches, um, there is the most amount of money and corruption and politics that goes around. They're so sick of churches because there's so much money involved in it. Um, nothing that anyone doesn't encounter, uh, we don't get a stipend for it. Uh, it is not paid for. Uh, Mr. Pash, yes, he is the high school chaplain, uh, but this like he doesn't get overtime paid for being here. Uh, but he's here tonight because he really wants to share with you guys uh, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and so I know, uh, I, I told this Pastor, I would say this, there's not like an elephant in the room, is I know that when we uh, go to chapel, uh, because you guys are forced to be there, uh, that a lot of times, like, and I understand there's just kind of like this, like, I don't want to be here, uh, you're forcing me to be here, I don't want to listen to this. Um, but what I found that Encounter, and I, I think I said this before, that I really think the secret sauce for Encounter it's just that every single person in this room, every single person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, they chose to be here. Uh, nobody forced them to come. Uh, and so I think with that heart, uh, let's listen to God's word this evening. Because uh, I've spoken at chapel too. People still speak when I speak at chapel. It's not about the speaker. It's just about the setting. Um, so uh, let's come with that heart that tonight uh, we want to have hearts of humility, hearts of reverence. Uh, not because of who is speaking, but because of what is being spoken about which is the very word of God. So can we give a very warm encounter welcome to our chaplain, Mr. Ash.
used to officially getting recorded, you know? Uh, when I record stuff in the classroom, I get to hit pause and stop, and it's like, yeah. This is a little different. So tonight, I do have the pleasure of talking about uh, being disciples of Jesus. Thank you to Mr. Cha for reaching out to me. I did say, everything he said is accurate. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I'm busy. I can't do it. Uh, but he, he reeled me in. So good job to you. Good job to him. Uh, I want to start uh, by looking at, that's my uncle actually cutting down a tree this past summer. Uh, it was a tall tree, and my uncle's very experienced like today. So I just watched him, and I'm like, you got the uncle Kevin? Uh, that's not what this picture is actually about at all. Uh, actually, I want to point to that thing right there. And I thought about this, you may not know if you don't have a backyard, is that that structure that you see there is called a shed. Uh, yeah, it's a shed. And I want you to imagine, if you could, that you are in a shed. Like, if, if I open the door, you went in there, and then I shut the door. I'm not going to lock you in there. But just pretend you're in there, and it's dark. You're in a shed. But then someone had poked some holes in the shed. Okay? So you're in the shed, and someone poked some holes. And obviously, as the light comes streaming in, you can kind of see things. If you step back and you look at the beam, you can sort of see some light in the shed. And using that light, you can see some things in the dark room. But there's another thing you could do if there's a hole in the shed. You could stick your eye to one of those holes where the light is coming through, and you can see by that light outside of the shed. So you can see by the beam, or you can see through the beam of light. So why am I talking about a shed my uncle cut down the tree? Uh, when we approach topics like discipleship, we could start by looking at some different texts, and we could do it in sort of systematic fashion. And by doing that, we would be looking inside the shed by the beam. But tonight, I don't want to do that. I want to look through the beam, and I want to look outside the shed alongside the light. So practically speaking, I want to look at three stories. And I want you to draw some inferences from the stories. So as we look at some of these different stories, I want you to make observations and think about it. I'll tell you a few thoughts also, and you'll have some things for discussion. That way we're all going to look uh, through the beam tonight, not just by the beam. Okay. It was the best of times, it was the worst, worst of times. That's the start to uh, a tale of two cities. Tale of two cities, Charles Dickens book, uh, London and Paris. But tonight we're going to look at a tale of two disciples. So in your notes, you'll notice there's three different spots. Uh, where we can compare and contrast two different disciples. Let's, let's begin. Uh, the first story begins in John chapter 20 with the empty tomb. And John records this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, 
and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter came, followed him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. Now, I think I've taught nearly all of you at this point, and you know that there's something we talk about called literary emphasis or literary sensitivity, right? When we know what's repeated, what is emphasized by the author, and that gives us a sense of the purpose of the text. So, did anyone know which words are repeated? I'll give you a chance to look again. There is a word I'm looking for, and it's not the or something silly like that. There's a verb. Take a second. Anyone sees a verb three times? You can just, just shout it out. Just say it. Lying. Lying. Saw. Saw. Oh, I didn't really see if there's any other option, but saw is the one I'm looking for. I'm glad you saw it. Now, in English, actually, it's the same verb, saw, saw, saw. Um, but if we, you know, cut into it a little bit in the Greek, there's actually three different verbs used. Uh, that's sometimes why it's good. You know, if you're like, what's the Greek on this? You can always look that up. You can do that. It's free. It's not a lot. Uh, but there are three different saws that kind of build up what's happening here. So the first one is blepo, right? That's what I'm doing right now. I'm blepoing right now. I'm just looking. Right? I'm just, I see you all, you say that you're looking at me. Right now we're both doing it, right? We are blepoing right now, all over the place. And that just means uh, when the disciple who Jesus loved gets there, he sees the linen cloths. Now the stone has been rolled, so he's looking inside this, inside this tomb. Peter shows up second, and he's the first one to go into the tomb. And you can probably guess, because it's not that hard of a word, theorio, theorio, uh, is where we get the word, theorize, or theory, right? To wonder, to speculate, to watch, to, hmm, and making a theory. It's also where the word we get, and I was glad I saw Tiffany here, it's also where we get the word theater. Because in a theater, you are watching, you are thinking, you're perceiving, you're, you're trying to figure out what's going on. In a good theater, you know? Uh, Peter goes in and he he's thinking about what does this mean? He's, he's trying to make sense of it. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also goes in the Edo and believe. So this third song is he understands, he perceives, he grasps the meaning, right? Sometimes you may be in class and you blado the teacher, you're like, you blado the teacher, I see this, I'm paying attention, I'm theorem, but I do not, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It's a bad feeling. You're watching, you're thinking, but you don't understand. Okay, in a similar way, he sees, Peter thinks hard, and John understands. 
what has happened. He's the first one to understand the resurrection. He's the first one to get it. There's no one there to say, it's a resurrection. He sees the clothes and he proceeds. Take a moment, if you would. I want you to just put down a few thoughts. What do we see about the disciple whom Jesus loved and Peter? I don't want to spend time with you, but take like 30 seconds, jot down a few things. Okay, as you are yourself theorizing right now, uh, if you finish up your thoughts, I'm going to move on from this resurrection soon. Now I want to go to another story. Takes place in the next chapter. This is a, like, it's a little impressionistic, you know, just a, a tiny bit. Uh, you may notice what's going on. You see someone at the shore. You see a fire there. You see someone jumping out of the boat. And someone looking out of the boat. Okay. This is the next chapter after Jesus already appeared. He's already been resurrected. And John writes, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin. Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to him, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it is the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. No commentary. Just from what you heard, if you would, 30 seconds, Theoreo, write down some thoughts. Go ahead. As you finish up, we'll proceed to the third story. It's kind of fun. You know, I'm just reading stuff and you're thinking, and it's why she does see the thinking. That's nice. It's a good change of pace. Okay, that was the story from the fishing boat. I want to go to the third story, which follows just about directly on the heels of that last story. It's right after, just a few verses later. And if you were in chapel, I don't know, this is like two months ago or something, a month and a half, we did look at this instance where there's a charcoal fire and Jesus and Simon Peter have a conversation. I'm going to go a little bit further, so if you recall that, great. If not, that's okay. I'll proceed. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That would be the other disciples. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, keep my lands. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw a disciple who Jesus loved following him, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the same spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Last chance. Write down, if you can, what you perceive about the two disciples. All right, if you please finish writing, and we'll keep going. Okay, that's story, charcoal fire. Okay, years ago, this was a saying, and sometimes you can still get away saying this in different places. I've even used this in other countries when you're in a marketplace, and you're trying to like bargain with someone, you don't speak your language, and you try to say, ah, oh, same thing, same thing. You're like, and for some reason, this, this works. I have no idea why it works so well, but it works. Literally, I looked this up on uh, Google Images. You know, can I get an old t-shirt that used to say it? There's a K-pop song that uses this. Is that right? Classy. Classy. Well, the group is called Classy. I don't know. I'm not a K-popper. Uh, and I asked some people, and they said, no, no one's going to know that. But I'm putting it out there in case you do. In case that's you. I'm here for you. Uh, but the idea is, you may notice with these two disciples, maybe the ways that they're similar, and maybe the ways that they are different. So you don't need to write this down, but let me just give you a few thoughts of my own. And maybe if we look at two disciples, we'll understand something fundamental about discipleship in general. Maybe if we look through the beam, we're going to see something about these two disciples. When we look at Peter in these three passages, Peter is a leader. He is marked out. When they, when they hear that Jesus has been raised, two disciples run. The one who Jesus loves gets there first. Peter's the first one to push into the tomb to understand what's going on here. When they are on the fishing boat, who's the initiator? Peter says, well, I want to go fishing. They're like, okay. Peter wants to go. Let's go. As soon as he hears that Jesus on the shore, what does Peter do? Puts on, I mean, oddly enough, he actually puts on clothes because you're probably mostly naked being a fisherman. So actually, he puts on clothes, uh, jumps into the water, and swims 100 yards to shore. Which, in clothes, that's pretty tough, actually, when you think about it. He jumps right off the boat. He doesn't even help him bring in the fish. They're bringing in the fish. He's gone. He's, he already dove. It's the Lord, boom. He's gone. When he's at the charcoal fire, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Yes, you know, yes, you know. It hurts me. Yes, you know that I love you. 
Jesus is marked out by his love for Jesus. He races to the tomb. Is the Lord? I'm diving off the boat right now. When asked, point blank, yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. And Peter goes on in the early church to be the leader. He's marked out. He's marked out by that love he has for Christ. It drives him almost impulsively to do these different things. He's marked out by his love for Christ. Now, if you notice the other disciple, the one, even think, let me go back just a little bit. Even think, in all three passages, we don't even get the disciple's name. I don't know if you, if you catch that. You don't even get the disciple's name. Throughout the, John's gospel, this is the title he goes by. It's such a mouthful that actually if you read, uh, when people try to talk about John's gospel, they just call him the beloved disciple. Because it's such a mouthful to say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So many syllables. But that is how he refers to himself. Notice, he's marked by his identity. His very name is marked by the fact that Jesus loves him. That's his name in the Gospels. That's the only distinguishing thing about him in his own story where he's a character. You know what I mean? If he's the author, that's how he describes himself. When they're at the tomb, he's the first one to get there. This isn't about like, you know, John's younger, he stretched first, you know, he really got the early run. John is a witness. In some sense, he's the first, he's the first witness. He's there first. He's the first one to understand. He's the first one that ate him. He understands the resurrection. Peter is thinking about it. He's theorizing. He's at a theater in the sense he's staring at it. But John perceives. He's the first one to get it. On the boat, who notices that it's Jesus speaking? Jesus on the shore. It's John. He says, it's the Lord. Peter's already, he's dying off the boat. John's the one who perceives. He understands. He knows Jesus' voice. He can see him at a distance. He understands. This last passage, which is a little enigmatic, a little mysterious, you may say, it seems that after the charcoal fire, uh, Jesus and Peter are walking on the shore, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, is behind him. And Peter naturally says, he finds out he's going to be crucified, be stretched. What about, what about this guy, right? A natural question. Is he going to die too? And you'll notice, Jesus says, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In a sense, John has continued. Though John died, he, he's been dead. You know, he, he's alive in heaven. But he's dead uh, on earth. He is still witnessing today. We are still tonight reading John's gospel. He has still remained, and he will remain until Jesus returns. So when you look at these two, really different, actually. One perceives, one understands, one is a witness, one bears testimony, the other leads. He dives off the boat. He says, yes, I love you more than others. Yes, I will die like you died. And at the same time, they're so similar. At the same time, they're so similar. They're both disciples. They're both following Christ. They're both called to follow him. Even though they look different, they both are called to that same thing. Same, same, but different. So for your notes, 
The mark of a disciple is love. The task of a disciple is to follow. Now, when uh, Mr. Chalk kind of told me the format and the disciples, we are marked by the bride of Christ, we are this or that, I really thought hard, and I want to leave this ambiguous a little bit. Because in these two disciples, one whose name is just, I'm the guy that Jesus loved, and the other one who professes more than anyone else that I love Jesus, the mark of a disciple is love. And it's really both of those. We could set them at odds, but really they're complementary. They're marked by love for Christ and also love by Christ. They're marked by love. And the task for both of them is to follow. To follow. So there's something fundamental here. What is discipleship all about? Mr. Chai asked me to talk about discipleship. What's it about? We talk about so many good things, a whole constellation of things, but at its foundation, it's just love. It's love. That's the foundation. Love for Christ and the experience of being loved by Christ. That's why they follow, right? Think about it with your friends. You want to hang out with your friends. Why? Because you like them. Or else, you know, I hope they like them. They're your friends. You hang out with them because you like them. And because you like them, you want to keep hanging out with them. Then you keep hanging out and you keep liking them, right? And you're not saying, oh, what a task. I hang out with my friends. So onerous. So burdensome. So in a similar way to the disciple, <laughs> is it their task to follow? Yeah, it's a command. Yet at the same time, why do they follow? Because they love. Because they are love, so they follow. That's the foundation. What's it to be a disciple? It's to be loved. Now, briefly, you may say, yeah, but, you know, I've never seen Jesus. I don't physically get to follow him. He's not around, you know. And I just want to encourage us that when we, as we are disciples, or as you maybe are thinking about being a disciple, yeah, we, I've never got to see Jesus. That'd be great. Uh, have it. But Jesus did not leave us as orphans. Not orphans. We have his word. He sent a spirit. To dwell within us so that I've never been hugged by a physical Jesus, but I know the experience of Jesus' love through the Holy Spirit, the love that shed abroad in our hearts. And third, we have his body. And I don't mean the, the literal body because he's got that, it's resurrected, but I mean his church, right? The embrace of his church, his hands, his arms, his feet. We don't have the physical Jesus, but we have all of those who are following him today, the church. And in that, we are embraced. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do call us to be disciples, not just because it's a task, but because you love us, and you want us to love you too. Help us to follow so we can know you, so we can know your love, uh, because that is what we are made for, that's what we're destined for, and that's what brings us joy and fullness. Pray that we would be disciples and that we would follow you. One thing uh, that I think Mr. Patch said that uh, really resonated with me is that he's talking about the kind of two different aspects of what it means to be a disciple. He says that uh, we follow uh, because we are loved. And so I think that there can be this kind of tension between like things like, yes, I'm a Christian, uh, but am I a disciple? Uh, and ultimately, whether or not your disciple is determined by how good of a Christian you are, uh, but it's by how loved you are. It's as you realize how loved you are that you will begin to follow, and you will begin to live as his disciple.
Um, so can we just take a moment just to pray for our hearts? Um, I know that not everyone here is Christian, um, and that's okay. Uh, we are so glad that you are here, and I know that there are a lot of different uh, misconceptions about Christianity, about what it is that Christians stand for, a very intolerant, uh, judgmental religion. Um, but if you're listening to what Mr. Patrick is saying tonight, uh, then really what uh, is being communicated is that uh, what we want you to hear tonight is that you are loved. Uh, not because of anything you've done, uh, not even because of who you are, uh, because of who God is, uh, you are marked by love, and you are already loved. Uh, you are already far more loved than you could ever imagine. And there is not a single thing that you can do to increase how much God loves you, there's not a sin that you can commit that will decrease his love for you, but you are already marked by love. And so can we just pray, uh, God, help me to understand uh, your love more deeply. May this year be the year where I understand uh, that I have been marked by love in ways that uh, I've never understood before. Let's pray, God, help me to know that I 